Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. <laughs> uh, we have a special program for you today, a special lunch program. Every Thursday, though, I'm here taping my podcast with my co-host, John Zipper, at the Commonwealth Club. So always, always exciting uh, to be here on Thursdays. Want to give a special, huge thank you to our lunch sponsor today, Ceremony Ford, for providing the awesome sandwiches. Yeah. The Great Leap is running right now at the ACT Geary Street Theater. It's a show written by Bay Area playwright Lauren Yee and follows or centers around Manford, a 17-year-old aspiring basketball player from Chinatown in San Francisco. Saul, a, a coach who coaches for USF, the Dons, and uh, ends up going to China to teach uh, basketball. And also Wen Chan, who is uh, the coach from Beijing, who ends up teaching basketball. And Connie, who's a cousin, or an adopted cousin, of Manford after Manford loses his mother. And so today, our special lunch program, we have 75% of the cast with us. <laughs> it's a cast of four. Uh, I should say the stars. And I'm really, really super excited, starstruck, and um, honored to have them here at the Commonwealth Club. We have Tony Award-winning actor B.D. Wong. Yeah. We have actor Ari Gross. You may uh, recognize him from Ellen, and who knows Ellen? <laughs> 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 and Tim Liu, who also has yeah. a... Uh, sorry. Um, uh, I just lost it right there. Did I say Tim? Yeah. 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 Um, uh, he has an extensive uh, body of work. He's also played in notable roles, uh, Midsummer Night's uh, Dream, Arabian Nights, The Tempest, and a whole long, long, long list. <laughs> really, yeah. you got to see him in action. And so let's welcome our cast. First question goes to BD. Um, Lauren Yee was inspired to write this, this body of work through her father. Her father uh, played pickup basketball in Chinatown. And I read somewhere that your father also uh, played basketball in Chinatown. And as a native of San Francisco, I just wanted to check in with you to see, you know, how important, how, how much of an Im impact does pickup basketball have in San Francisco and Chinatown? Yes, well, what I have learned rehearsing this play at this production in San Francisco is that everyone's father played pickup basketball <laughs> in Chinatown. And some, this is something that Lauren says a lot, and she says it with a sense of humor, but it's really true. It really is a very small town, Chinatown, and those of us who have parents or grandparents who grew up or lived in Chinatown they really do all know each other from a certain generation. And the generation kind of, you know, my father, my parents are older than Lauren's parents, but um, I do know a lot of people that played basketball with Lauren's dad, Lauren, uh, Larry Yee, and it's, it's kind of remarkable and, and kind of amazing. Um, my dad was um, luckily a, a great uh, a, a photography enthusiast, and he loved taking pictures in the 40s and 50s, and to, has, had left, um, has these great scrapbooks of all these great pictures of him and his uh, 
good friends, buddies playing basketball in Chinatown. And so we used some of those pictures as kind of inspiration for the spirit of the game in Chinatown, you know, at the very same places where Lauren has written some of the, the, the events of the play. Um, I have a, my own kind of removed uh, version of that. My parents sent me to a youth group at the Chinatown YMCA on Sacramento Street when I was a teenager. And so I played, I was forced to play basketball. <laughs> Theater kid being forced to play basketball. <laughs> and um, so I relate to those locations and that, that, that world in a, in, a, in a way too. It's a wonderful experience to uh, do the play in San Francisco and to feel the audience's reaction to the, uh, the immediacy of of seeing a play set in, in one's own hometown. It's, it's a, a, an experience I really recommend to people who haven't seen the show. You could do this play, and this play has in fact been done all over the country, and it's, it's, um, it doesn't, it's not quite the same. It's always probably good, but it's, there's something a little special about this production because it actually um, it evokes places that everyone knows. Well, I have a question for all three of you, and start with him and just run right down. How did you get involved in the play? How did it first get introduced to you? Or did you pursue it? Or did they pursue you? How did it come up? Um, oh, for me, I, I've actually auditioned for every iteration of this play since the very first time. It, so it started out uh, Denver Center, Seattle. Oh. Uh, then it went to Atlantic. Then they did the Guthrie. And then yeah. this one. And I, I was in callbacks for every single one and never got it. Uh -huh. And the thing is, I met Lauren Yee through the first uh, time I auditioned for it. And credit to her and her being an awesome person, she kept putting my name in for it. So I didn't even um, send my resume for this show here at uh, ACT. Yeah. And I got an email and then from Janet from ACT and she said, would you like to come in and read it? So I was like, all right, fine. I didn't get it the other times. So I'll just go in. And then when I got it, I was like, I went into like panic mode. It's like, you finally, <laughs> I got it. Now what? <laughs> oh, shoot, I didn't think about this two years ago. The dog that caught the... the yeah, 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 I caught my tail and I was like, oh, I did it. <laughs> what is my life? <laughs> yeah, so that, that was how I got involved. I, li I like that story because that's very Manford, actually. Yeah. Because Manford doesn't give up. It right. really doesn't yeah. give up until he gets on the team. <laughs> he gets it and it's like, oh, <laughs> now what? <laughs> yeah. Great. Ari. Well, I, I had... Um, a, 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 Gotten a call from my uh, agents in Los Angeles in um, in early December, um, telling me that I'd been offered the role, and um, I, I was delighted. Having worked with BD on a couple of occasions a uh, long time ago, um, and they were wonderful experiences, um, and um, and I had previously done uh, two plays with Lisa Peterson, who directed this production. Okay. Um, um, both um, uh, uh, both uh, were materials with uh, Asian themes, and um, and I'd also done a play with Pam McKinnon, who's the new artistic director of ACT. So uh, and I loved the play. So it, it was this wonderful gift to have all these elements that were that uh, embodied everything that I wanted to do, the people I wanted to work with. The material I wanted to work on, a, a city that um, uh, where I've never lived but have loved all my life. So um, that's how I, I got involved with Great Lake. 
Edie? I first read the play in late 2017 because Atlantic Theater uh, in New York was doing a production, the one that Tim's talking about, mm. and um, uh, I was offered that uh, the part uh, for that production, which was exactly a year ago. And I did that production, and I loved the play so much that when I found out that ACT was doing it, I really wanted to, ho I hoped that they would offer me the part, and they did. Um, I kind of went after it, because I really wanted to have this experience. I was born and raised here, mm -hmm. and so for my mother alone, it was a really great um, <laughs> thing, you know, seriously. And so I, and I had worked at ACT uh, four years ago in a production called The Orphan of Jiao, which was very, uh, really great experience and also great for my mom. So I knew what I was getting myself <laughs> into. Um, and I wanted to kind of recreate that, that vibe, that family hometown vibe, working on a play that I really liked. Um, so that's how that happened. So question for Ari, um, Saul, he plays this trash-talking coach, and this, uh, this American co coach who goes to Beijing, and he teaches Wen Chan you know, the uh, basketball, but in this way of trash-talking. <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering, how much of a stretch was that for you? Um, and, or, I guess, another way of asking is, how much trash-talking do you actually do in real life? When she says trash-talking, <laughs> she means foul mouth. Okay. Blue <laughs> language. Let's get it straight. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, um, Saul has the uh, vocabulary of a particularly dyspeptic stevedore, mm. <laughs> uh, and um, an extraordinarily foul mouth. Um, uh, one thing I would like to say is that um, it, it, it's kind of pointed out in the play, um, Saul has this conceit that he's gone and uh, taught basketball uh, uh, to China, uh, when in fact uh, basketball uh, existed in China prior to Saul's arrival. But he does teach, um, or attempts to teach, um, an aggressive American style of play. Um, and um, I, I'd grown up uh, with a rich vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, uh, however, I have uh, attempted to um, curb my use of the English language since the birth of my daughter 12 years ago. <laughs> and um, so uh, uh, Saul's salty language is, is something of a joy for me <laughs> to get this kind of release and, and uh, license to um, be as foul-mouthed as, as possible. Um, but it's, I, one thing I would like to add, I, I wound up uh, researching, if you will, trash-talking in basketball. And and um, there's another component that uh, Larry Bird uh -huh. oh. um, is is uh, is famous for his trash talking, but it wasn't so much um, his his profanity, but his psychology. Uh, his, his, his psychology and his his unbelievable confidence and arrogance to approach players at the beginning of a game and say. I'm going to get 40 points off of you. Yeah. And then throughout the game would say 38 left, <laughs> 33 left until it would drive opponents crazy. And then when he would see them stumble, he would go to the opposing team's bench and say to the coach, can you send out someone who can cover me? 
and, and furthermore, would, would, would say to his opponents that in the last seconds of a game, all right, look it. Uh, I'm going to go stand in that corner, and they're going to pass me a ball. I'm going to hit a three at the buzzer. And he would do exactly that, and it would create this tremendous frustration. So that's an element of the trash talking, too. It's not just um, foul language. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as much fun as that is yeah. to get in. Yeah. Tim, how much do you like your character? Or not? Oh, I, I, I love any time I get to play someone that's closer to me. There's been, like... I do a lot of like kind of, sh uh, did at least a lot of like Shakespeare and things like that where yeah. it's kind of like you d you can be anyone and play these roles. It's not like something where you're thinking, but there's two, actually two or three plays that I've played like Asian American person that I can really relate to. So for, for me, like one of the plays was by um, this great playwright, uh, Eleanor Burgess, who wrote a show about, uh, it was called Start Down, and it was about startups in San Francisco. And I was playing like a, a late 20s Chinese American guy who there was nothing in the script that really required him to be, but she said, no, this is what it is, because it's like this here. Yeah. And then I was able to play Manford, which is, he's a Chinese American from Chinatown kid. So it was like, wow, I don't have to like stretch super far for any of this stuff. It's like, is this what white people feel like all the time? <laughs> like, this oh, is what like white, white actors, actors feel like? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, and I mean, I say that jokingly, but like, if, if. No, you're, it's not you're, a joke. Yeah, but no. it's not a joke at the no. same time. Like, I'm going in and I'm like, look, I can play Sebastian, I can play Demetrius and yeah. all, all these roles, but it's like, that's like, it's, uh, it's you, anyone can. But this is like, this is specifically you. This is kind of how you grew up. This is uh, these struggles of very similar struggles. Like everyone discounts you because you're, you know, from Manford. Short guy, loves basketball, and he's Asian. So this is pre-Jeremy Lin, pre-like, you know, uh, Watanabe and like all these guys coming in now. But it's like that. But then you're like, oh, I'm an actor and I'm coming in trying to like do these kind of similar things. And it's like, well, no, you can play these roles and not these. And it's, I mean, like probably BD can, can attest to this. He's been in the business as an Asian, kind of the guy. I mean, like, I watched these guys like growing up, I'd see them on TV all the time and I'd be like, I get to work with these guys. Yeah. And then like just being able to work with these guys and play this person that I don't have to like stretch, like, it's not like, um, it's almost like, it's, it's like natural. This is what, yeah. Of course. Why isn't this normal? You know, what would a kind of... Scottish king think when yeah. he's doing the scene? I well, speaking problem, of, man. I have no idea. Of stretches, so I guess we, we, we shall ask BD because um, your character, I mean, the play is set during the Chinese Cultural Revolution, and so a few years after um, uh, Mao's leadership, right? And, and so you've been tasked, your character's been tasked by the communists party to, uh, to lead with, with this new cultural revolution and, and basketball and learning how to play basketball. And so you're absorbing and you're learning this from foul mouths all. And it, there's a lot going on in this play between identities and, and finding out you know, each person's story. And then in your case, it's like you throw in the political stuff from China during a time in which it's really 
I think still very sensitive and hard for, for many of us to talk about leading up to 1989 when you finally have that exhibition game or the, the friendly game um, and Tiananmen Square, uh, the protests at Tiananmen Square. So all of that mix in, I, your, your character is central to all of that. Yes, <laughs> that's all true. It's a beautifully written play in that it balances a kind of playful sense of humor and a, a kind of sophisticated uh, 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 comedy with a, a really strong emotional center. And the emotional center comes, you know, deepens into the second act and comes with the, uh, the uh, historic events and the, the things, no spoilers and all that stuff. Um, and and so I mean I'm not sure what the question is. Your your stretch, I mean, and oh my stretch to, to under yes, because you talked about. You no, know, that's like, very interesting because yeah. as the two of them were talking about their stretch or their lack, whatever that they you know, the stretch issue, I was thinking, it's such an such an interesting question for me because. Um, this character is really not anything like me at all. I mean, I enjoy him because he's very different from me. And yet when I'm doing it, I don't feel like it's a stretch. Like, I feel like, I think what we have to do is kind of try to find the common ground between your emotional life and the character's emotional life and ride it, you know, through the, the course of the play. And, and when you can do that in a well-written play and it feels like it's working, then you kind of start feeling like you're that person. You know, you start feeling like I have a connection to this person. You find the connection. So I feel like I found that emotional connection that has to do with, for me, it has to do with the, the whole notion of whether or not one follows their dreams or not. And um, in, in the case of the play, there are two characters, Manfred, who really is going for his dreams, and Wen Cheng, whose dreams are kind of suppressed and who's, who's not able to follow his, his bliss, as it were. And in some ways, I kind of relate to Wen Cheng because I am more of a Manfred, and I kind of am moved by Wen Cheng's inability to, to follow his dreams. Um, and I also feel, how else do I feel? I feel, uh, I, I relate to Wan Chong, be, um, I don't want to say it without talking too much about the play, but there are personal things about Wan Chong's life that mirror things that happen or are revealed in the play that I relate to in my, role, in my, uh, in my own world. And I have been able to draw on them even though my life is very different from Wan Chong's. So you've been, audiences have been, have been seeing the play, what sort of connection are they making with it? Is, are, you know, you, you were talking about kind of connections you have to it, to the characters and to the storyline, to the place, mm -hmm. the settings. What, do you, what sort of feedback are they? Are they glomming onto the dream of the young player, the, the, the intercultural uh, uh, exchange there, or the, the sport? I mean, what, what are you hearing from that? The, the, you mean the audience? Yeah. Ah, I think it's very varied, don't you guys think? Yeah, I do. I, mean, I think it's a very rich play because the, uh, the, the emotional reaction that people have is from different places. Mm -hmm. um, the, the following your dreams or not following your dreams thing is a big emotional um, impact, I think, for the play. People really are very moved by that when, it's, when, when, that, when, that gets, when we get into that part of the play. Yeah. But this whole idea that a, a kid... Uh, Wants so badly, wants something so badly, and makes it happen is also a huge part of that. What do you guys think? Well, um, I I can tell from the first scene of the play that that uh, uh, Manfred and Saul are in. There are several um, 
um, San Francisco specific uh, references. <laughs> yeah. And, and every performance you can feel um, from the audience that, um, that, that fizzy kind of yeah. recognition yeah. Yeah. of um, whether, it's, uh, whether it's a school or a place that's named or, yeah. you know, et cetera. And um, it's, very, it's very validating and very, yeah. <laughs> it's satisfying as a performer, but I think for the audience, there's a sense of like, oh, that's, I know that, that's, I've been there, I, I, I went there. I, I don't know, it, there's something very positive about it. It is. Yeah, it's like a band coming it's out. It's very exciting. Like, We're in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. it's, it's like, like that, that but, yeah. but not pandering. It's better than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the opposite, it's them getting it for yeah, themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's great. Uh, I saw the play, and uh, I'm, I'm hearing the hints here. I shouldn't tell you everything that happens in the play, although I really want to. <laughs> but that's my that's my, that's my promo. Go see the play; it's really good. Uh, but you know, the reason why I enjoyed the play so much, I was emotionally attached to it, is because I saw myself in Manford, even though, you know. Um, I uh, didn't play basketball. I tried, uh, <laughs> but I love you know all these things that a, an Asian American kid or you know ex especially second generation and beyond could connect with with Manford. You know you're you're short, but you make up for it in your other talents. And you know the the persistent drive to create the space for you, and then going all the way to China, uh, a country in which all you know is that your parents are from. Yeah. Um, and. So I wanted to ask you, Tim, in, in how much of, if you could expand on that, I know you said for you, this wasn't really too much of a stretch. It wasn't hard because you identified with, with a lot of it, but, but this also the conversation around being American and, mm. and, and then you know, knowing that there's a native country that your parents are from and that being a part of your identity. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of... <sighs> That's a lot. Okay. Uh, well, I, I mean, know. It's like, yeah. So let's talk about identity and national, you know, origin and stuff like that. Um, I think for me, growing up, I, I was lucky to. I, I'm from New Jersey, and I grew up in this place where, like, um, kindergarten, my my classmates were VJ, Quatrail, Amir. You know, it was like of like a lot of different types of people, a lot of immigrants and things like that. So, and, and I've always grown up with this kind of like, uh, you know, Asian, uh, like Chinese, Taiwanese slash whatever kind of community. So growing up, I, I, I would, I'd never really had the same kinds of uh, uh, identity struggles that I did uh, before I started acting. And then you start realizing, you watch like a movie and be like, oh, you're right. There is no one like that. There is no one that looks kind of like me or is... Because the problem being like what I am as a person, I'm like, I am kind of nerdy. I do wear glasses and I do like do like nerdy things. And then when you hear kind of on the internet like, oh, we need these like a Asian leading guys, crazy rich Asian, look at their abs. It was so cool. I'm like... I don't have those. Um, I still am very nerdy. Like, do I still fit in now in this new, like, all the guys are super sexy, all the ladies are super pretty? It's like, uh, and Tim. Uh, <laughs> what do you do? I will play a 17-year-old. Um, 
so there, there's like, there's a whole kind of like minefield out there. And it's not that maybe that it's, it wasn't per, difficult to find Manford because I identified so much with him, but it was uh, that the challenge of actually de uh, developing and discovering the character was, well, uh, I, I, I identify with these parts, but then how do I make him three-dimensional? How do I make someone that wants, that has that drive, uh, not only about having that drive, or else it gets kind of annoying, right? Like, if someone's always like, hey, hey, I'm like the best, man. I'm like the best. I'm the best. I'm, the, I'm like the very best. You get it? I'm the best. It's like, that is not a real person, right? Or, or it could be a real person, but a very boring person. <laughs> So I think the stretch and the identity parts of me was like, okay, I didn't grow up in Chinatown. I know BD did. Uh, uh, they, they luckily housed us near Chinatown, so I was able to walk through and be like, oh, oh. And then we got to uh, hang out at the uh, Betty Ong Center for the Basketball Jamboree, watching like middle schoolers Chinese, from Chinatown, and I think it was like Presidio Middle School, uh, playing a tournament and then seeing these actual kids. I'm like, oh, this is what it's like here. I go, then I went to a couple of restaurants, went to eat with BD and his mom and his brother and like at like a local spot. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what it's about. And it kind of finding that Chinatown side of it versus the, uh, my parents, my parents came to the States late seventies. So I have that, uh, immigrants background, but what happens when you're a third generation? in Chinatown, you know? And that's a completely different thing that some audiences really understand. Like, why can this, uh, this mother character who's not, who's not in the play, like, why is, it, why is her time in the States so difficult? She's surrounded by Chinese people, right? isn't it? Yeah, but she spoke Mandarin and they speak Cantonese in Chinatown. That's a big difference. And like, knowing that in my head versus trying to make sure that the audience gets it. I think that's like these really small cultural tweaks that you have to like, unfortunately be kind of aware of because not everyone has the same experience that I do. Not everyone has the same experience that any of us do, especially in San Francisco. More people are probably more informed about it in San Francisco because it's such an old town. But like when it goes up at the Guthrie, I'm like, I wonder how they would like, yeah. we, we have this question all the time, like at the Guthrie in, in Denver, I mean, even What's in their New York. In, or even, even in, in New York. York. I mean, it's a smaller Chinatown in New York. Yeah. It's a slightly different. So yeah. I think those identity questions are interesting. And I think we might have a slightly easier job here than everywhere else. But still, we, that's like one of those things you have to think about. I think the, the, the production benefits greatly from it, for sure. Not only the audience's reaction and the, uh, uh, what the audience is bringing to it, but our ability to access these places. I mean, we went to USF and were coached by the USF basketball coach because we could, yeah. you know, and, and that was just really rare and great from a research perspective. Yeah. Thank you for saying all that. Oh, yeah, exactly that was a lot. I'm I sorry. Wanted, <laughs> no, it, it, it was exactly what uh, I was thinking in, in this whole thing yeah. of fitting in. And in, in this play, this, this one-pack play, and when you, you know, uh, read the description of it, some people might take away from it that it's about basketball, but it's layered with so many mm. complexities, and some of it is, you know, the, the Asian-American identity and experience of immigrating and being here for generations, and all of that is intertwined into this ball. Well, basketball, I guess, yeah, for the show, and they do it beautifully, and you have to re kind of read between the lines to really see it all. 
Um, and so it'd be interesting to hear, you know, from Ari, it, just, <laughs> <laughs> it plays the American. Um, right. And, and so some of it, uh, you know, even your line, some of it, you know, c people can take away from it being offensive or, or uh, there are some stereotypes of, you know, American culture, but you kind of have to hit on that, right? To, for the purpose of the the uh, the play and when it was said. Well, I, I think uh, so. Yes, Saul uh, Saul uses not just foul language, but um, repeatedly <laughs> offensive language. And um, you were weirdly uh, good at. And more than uh, <laughs> more than a you few racial it. slurs. <laughs> and um, um, and at the same time, I from from the very beginning. Uh, uh, first scene uh, with with Manford, um, I believe Saul is connecting his experience um, to Manford's. There, there is a line, and I don't think it's a lie. Um, you know, I get it. I used to be just like you. Mm -hmm. right. You know, a, a scrappy kid, and he keeps he keeps identifying uh, uh, points where he connects with Manford, not. Um, in in a uh, in the context of um, an Asian American experience, that's not Saul's experience, but his um, his ambition, his drive, um, and also you know there uh, one can um, one can infer a similar uh, uh, child of immigrants experience yeah. um, coming from the uh, Jewish coming from the Bronx in New York uh, being. Uh, being a an under six foot tall uh, Jewish man playing basketball at at an almost professional level, yeah. um, and not quite fitting in, and ultimately injuring himself before he can uh, before he can move on, and um, it, but Saul's will to succeed in this is something that he recognizes in Manford. So all the um, uh, very differences between Saul and Manford's origin stories um, are sort of vitiated by the fact that there are these points where they come together. Yeah. And repeatedly, Saul looks for these, these ways that he can connect with Manford, not as the other, but until ultimately he's, he's referring to him as son. I was just going to say, there's a lot of father figure, fathery kind of yeah. thing or themes going on, but I'm, I don't yeah. want to, again, I don't, I don't so, want to so say I too much. There's a, um, uh, it, it, um, I, I think that, I think that Saul's profanity, his racial slurs, his, his, um, that that persona that he puts on, I think it's his, I think it's his armor, and not his essence. Yeah, I don't uh, think it's yeah. his essence. Yeah, for sure. He he starts out by saying, "Well, there's no way you can be any good because you're Chinese." I mean, he starts out shutting it down. That's right. And it really turns out he grows to respect Manford tremendously and understand the value that he plays on his Absol team. Absolutely. And that is an indication of someone who is not you know, truly racist. <laughs> right, because he sees, He's, he yeah. sees what he can do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And relates Within to it, like the yeah. first five minutes of the play. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. So, That's yeah. right. Yeah. So 
language aside, if this show were done in China, mm. what do you think the reception would be, or what do you think they would be seeing in it? Very interesting question. Huh. It's hard to know because we are we're so American, we, we can only yeah. surmise. Sure. Um, the, the play does purport that the, um, the Chinese government um, is very <laughs> uh, dysfunctional about um, its own reputation and, and, and you know, reportage of certain events in, in, in Chinese history even are actually kind of altered or, or and in, in, you know, access to the internet, all of those things. We know about some of that, but we don't really feel it as Americans. I mean, I, I'm mindful of trying to say, well, I really have no idea, but intellectually I can imagine that um, the Chinese government would not like this play I would imagine it's mm -hmm. it, 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 the, in my experience or in my knowledge, the Chinese government doesn't like a lot of things that <laughs> we do and say about that. You know, so we would they would shut down a lot of things. So I don't see it being done there in the same kind of way. It is what's kind of great about it is that Lauren Yi is an Asian American playwright mm -hmm. at a time when Asian American playwrights are really valuable in our country, and she's speaking the truth of of what her point of view is as an Asian American. And she does say, uh, and she does make a very brief distinction in the play between being Asian American and Chinese in that when you're an Asian American going to China, or a Chinese American going to China, yeah. you don't necessarily feel like you're going home at all. Oh, it's There's weird. a sense of alienation that yeah. you actually feel. And that distinction is not necessarily fully understood by everyone, you know, um, by the, your average person. And I think that's an, a, a, a powerful distinction to show that her point of view as a playwright is very specific and not Chinese, but yeah. Chinese American. Yeah. I do uh, like to contemplate them translating it into Cantonese or Mandarin and just translating all of Saul's swear words. <laughs> yes, yes. That would be a, a good job for a Chinese censor. Well, well, yes, and that happens in the play. It, yeah. yeah. Really. Okay. Yeah. It's, 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 that scene is in the play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's beautifully written. Everything that BD just said, uh, you know, I think that that's... That's that's the essence of, of the play as well is that this is a, a, a point of view and it's also experiences and and it touches on so many different layers. Um, yeah. That's what I love about about the play. It's time now the the best part of the program in which our audience gets to ask questions to our great stars. And so John here has a mic. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can ask. Not anything. <laughs> was like, it, I was, don't say anything. <laughs> don't say anything. Don't, don't ask what happens in the back. You can, you can ask BD, Ari, or Tim your question. <laughs> Hi. Uh, question for Tim. Uh, yeah. Have you been to China? Because in the play, you had not experienced that. And uh, just out of curiosity. Uh, I have been to Taiwan, which, however, politically, that, that's a whole nother mess <laughs> yeah. we can talk about. I've been to Taiwan. I still have, like, uh, uncles and cousins there. Um, so I have, I've never, so I've never been to, like, mainland China, uh, which is a different beast, I guess, in terms of, you know, um, who they let in, who they don't let in, who, what they'll show you, stuff like that. Um, but I would like to eventually. I think that's, you know, see the Great Wall, <laughs> I guess. For uh, BD, um, will we see you back on Law & Order SVU? Oh, no. 
<laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, that was that, that. That is a really, really good uh, job that I had, and I'm so really extremely grateful for it. And it was a, a very specific time in my life. And um, uh, when I moved on from it, I moved on from it emotionally. I think <clears throat> onto things that have satisfied me greatly. And and I do. I, I'm, I'm being facetious, you know. If they ask me to come back on, and I they have in the last few seasons, you know, in a one-off kind of way to kind of retouch base with that particular character who is not dead, you know, hasn't been killed off or anything. <laughs> um, I'm really happy, happy, happy to do that. I, I, I do love the people and everything there. But um, the show itself, really, to be super honest, was the same every week for me <laughs> and, and was not that interesting. I didn't feel uh, important to the show at all, actually. Um, the, the, the driving of the plot of the show or the, the, the circumstances that were happening, I felt important to the other characters. They needed me, but I was... In, I was kind of interchangeable, I felt, for, for any other kind of expert. Mm -hmm. And so that was, from an artistic standpoint, <laughs> not very, not the most stimulating thing for me. But from a, um, you know, my, I got that contract when my son was born, and I wanted <laughs> to stay in New York, and it was the most, the luckiest thing that ever happened to me. Super grateful to Dick Wolf and to those people for making that happen for me. So I stuck with it for 11 years, which is a long time, which is longer than any of the friends. <laughs> right. um, Those residuals. Yeah. But thanks. Thanks. Great. We have another question. Well, I have to tell you, when we lived in Manhattan, we saw you and Madam Butterfly. Hmm. And it was wonderful. I don't tell you how many years ago it was. Well, it was 31 years oh, yesterday. It was about 30 years the ago. The opening night yes. of Madam Butterfly. <laughs> wow. March 20th, 1988. And there were three young March women sitting in front of us. And they were so shocked when you became a man. <laughs> and you, <just> <laughs> you know, I didn't become a man. I always was. <laughs> but, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> um, another idea. Uh, but, you know, this life. is a very interesting anecdote that is very common. And I love this. It's, it's, always, it's, not, it's never the person. It's always the person sitting behind someone that, <laughs> that hears that someone sitting in front of them or behind them were aghast um, at the moment when it was, when it was concrete revealed <laughs> and and that is a great satisfaction to me because uh, it was a very different time 31 years ago when it comes to talking about trans issues or trans people or or uh, or gender identity, gender identity. Yeah. and and so it was very there was a mystique about that play that because the play was quite obviously about this miscommunication this miss uh, whatever you want to call it, this the mystery of this creature, this person. And so it's there in the play for everyone to see from the very first scene, and yeah. people were completely naive to it <laughs> until the third act when it was actually put almost literally in their face. <laughs> and, and then they, Rags. some people who came in from, you know, from not having read a lot about the play were completely aghast. That's always going to be one of the more satisfying things for me to hear about because they, they will, you'll hear, you, you know, you would, I was on the stage, really what I was basically doing is taking my makeup off in this ritualistic way on stage, right? And as the makeup's coming off and the clothes are coming off and I'm changing, you can hear people in the audience like, no way, <laughs> no way. And I, I just, there's nothing better than that as an actor. <laughs> never, that will never get better than that for me. 
Women were shocked because they were in the first row. Uh, <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> oh my God, it's a man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to see you all at the end of the month. Oh, great, great. 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 Yes, thank you. Come on down. My ticket to the play is on Sunday. And last night, I w as at another Commonwealth uh, event, one of the volunteers told me you might not be in the play this weekend. Not true. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> the one performance that I was not able to do was yesterday afternoon. <gasps> and and um, that was out of obligation, contractual obligation to the understudy who came in with the understanding that he would do it because I thought I had to go to New York to go do a, another job, which I didn't have to end up doing. Uh, on Sunday, the 24th, is it? I think yeah, probably yeah. is going to be a boatload of people from APG and any junior high school that I went to school oh. with. Oh, that'll yeah. so yeah. it will either be a very good or a very bad performance. <laughs> <laughs> They're all good. Yeah. They're all good. Just you know, too much thinking about it sometimes when there's too many people in the audience. My my mother had 80 people in the audience on last Sunday, so that was that great. By the way, it was. Yeah, it was, that was yeah. a fun show. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hi, we got to see the matinee yesterday, oh, and the sure. understudy did an excellent job. Yes, great, yeah. great. It is great. Um, I wanted to ask if you could imagine the kind of script and show where Asian Americans and Asians and anyone could play without caricature. Mm. Uh, I would, you know, without the gatekeepers saying, no, it has to be, you know, another way. And the two examples that I would set were uh, Frank's Place by Tim Reed. Uh, who's a well-known African-American. If you see him, you would recognize him. And uh, I think it did not make one season or a full season. It was called Frank's Place. Oh, a television show. Yeah, yeah. a TV uh -huh. show. And then the other one was James Edward Olmos, Edward James Olmos. Yeah, Edward, Edward. His show was American Family, mm -hmm. right, which was set in the house of uh, a Chicano uh, yeah. Mexican-American family. So... The frustrations that Asian Americans have had, right, is can you see a point getting past the gatekeepers where uh, a script uh, set in California, of all places, you know, could really um, hire enough actors who could uh, stretch, you know, could f uh, feel that they're playing uh, what they want to play? You know, I, I do think that we're in that. Uh, 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 we're creeping into a moment where Crest this is the happening. Hill. There are several television shows that are just becoming pilots now that are kind of built off of the success of Crazy Rich Asians. And when we talk about the success of Crazy Rich Asians, I'm always kind of like um, uh, nervous about kind of overhyping the fact that it's changed the world and all of that. But the, the reality is that there are several kind of knockoffs yeah. of Crazy Rich Asians that are going to be on you know, the, the, the test will be whether the audience likes them or not or whether they're actually good. Yeah. But as far as I can tell, they are, and some of my friends are in them, they're, they're really um, American families that are, that are either Chinese-American or Asian-American and don't have character in, caricature in them. Um, and it depends on what you really mean by caricature. There's a, a kind of caricature that really makes me uncomfortable that I feel is... Is, is becoming antiquated. And I do think that uh, Asian American actors should be allowed to play broad comedy, and they should allow actually to be able to play broad comedy using dialect, mm -hmm. um, but not necessarily in that way that kind of 
puts us down or, or makes us feel like we've gone back several years. I'm personally doing a new show on Comedy Central in the summer, which was a, also a pilot that they picked up, Comedy Central's uh, show uh, uh, starring Aquafina. And Aquafina is a creature of her own kind of <laughs> unique, you know, she's not caricature, she's not stereotypical, she's broad though. And that show I don't see as having, you know, it's, a, it's based off of her life. It's her, um, her and her father in Queens, New York, Flushing, Queens. Yeah. So it's, it's very, you know, kind of madcap and, and silly, but it is also kind of real too. Mm. So I'm encouraged by that. And 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 happy that we're kind of on the wave of that now, and, and interested to see where it goes. Well, I mean, like th for example, shows like Kim's Convenience, yes, out of Canada. Canada, it, he plays. They're both. Everyone has neutral North American accents, yeah. but he plays someone that, like uh, Paul Hyung Sun, is Hyung Lee, I think, is his name. And he plays Appa, who's the the dad, and he has a thick like Korean accent. And they play, it's very broad, but it's never character. I mean, for me, I would always say my favorite Asian American film in a, like, that I've ever seen, I always say Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Uh -huh. And the reason being, it's just John Cho being a guy, and it's just Cal Penn being a guy that just, I just want to get high and eat White Castle. <laughs> and there's nothing, I mean, and it's, and in, we laugh and stuff, but like, and there's, there's Asian American films where we're like, oh, like even, um, uh, just, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but like, th there's a ton, and it's like, yeah, we're gonna talk about these issues, and but mm -hmm. White Castle, they're just being guys. They're just being twenty-year-old guys who have crappy jobs. They're almost kind of interchangeable with white guys. White yeah, exactly. Guys and, any other, yeah. and that's kind of, I mean, that's but powerful. isn't that the goal? Yeah, isn't well, that it, like it's the part of the goal? goal for sure? It's part of yeah. the goal to yeah. be able to do something like that could be a mediocre film. You know how many mediocre films starring like a couple of white guys are out there? Like every single one. Yeah. That's like the definition. Yeah. No, Ari's in good movies. Ari's doing good stuff, man. But like, but you know what I mean? It's like there's this kind of idea. It's like I just, I just want to, like I was saying before, like I don't want to go to the gym and do sit-ups, man. I just want to be me. I want to eat White Castle. <laughs> Hang out, like. And I think that's kind of. You know, right now, like we were talking about pilots, there's like four or five pilots now yeah. that are like yeah. Jessica Gao's pilot. There, there's the Aquafina pilot. There's the one that the Ken Emperor Jong is doing. Emperor of something. Yeah, that Emperor Malibu. Malibu. Yeah, yeah something. So there's, it's all happening. We're going to find out this fall, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> if any of it sticks and the fresh off the boat's still out there, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Why are you shaking your head? Um, I think it relates to... Um, uh, Mr. Zipper's question about how would this play in China yeah. is if you don't know your history mm -hmm. and how your parents, grandparents, great-grandparents got here in the first place. So the Transcontinental Railroad um, 150th comes up May 10th this mm -hmm. year. Yeah. And it was followed by the Chinese Exclusion Act. Mm -hmm. So unless we do a better job K-12, to I think, yeah. teaching all of American history, and I credit the African Americans, they're doing a pretty good job. When I look at my grandson's uh, uh, textbooks in the fourth grade and the eighth grade, it's much more comprehensively taught. Uh, the institution of slavery and Jim Crow and all the um, consequences. So I think we need to combine both. You yeah. have to have education, then the entertainment can work you know, in a more valid way, but not but you can't be like uh, a historical or um, you know like 
just White Castle hamburger. Yeah. You know, you've got to have some, which is actually how Lauren crafted this play. But I must say, I, you know, I'm friends with her father, okay? Mm -hmm. And we have totally different experiences uh, with our families in China. Because my father could not go to the Yi Association because he did not agree on the pro-Taiwan uh, oh, position. Interesting. Yeah, so y there are certain things that, uh, unless you get them from the previous generations, right. Americans suffer, I think, from this. Uh, I mean, what isn't an American mm -hmm. that you can name White Castle? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I actually think, I mean, you know, when we're talking about diversity now, today, uh, diversity in Hollywood, diversity in the workplace, I mean, diversity isn't just also the representation or the face. I mean, we, we you know, when you talk to Dustin Lance Black, who just did, or a few years ago, did ABC's mini reality series and telling um, Cleve Jones's story, it's like the response there was, well, you didn't talk about me. You didn't, you, you know, you didn't talk about this. You didn't have enough trans identity or you. And, and then his response to that was, it's, it's really impossible to tell all the stories. And what we have to do is continue to tell the stories, write more stories. If you're a writer, you got to start writing. Mm -hmm. If you're, you know, um, an actor, get out there and try to get the roles. Like it's, it's really not just up to the, the yeah. actors themselves to represent the storylines. Yeah, we have yeah. we have to tell the stories too. And so, you know, even one of the questions that I asked earlier was like talking about uh, 1969 to 1985 China uh, to Chinese Americans. Sometimes we forget that there's sensitivity around the politics around that too. Yeah. Um, but not to say that this play had to have all the answers for everything that was going on right. in China at that time. Well, is the burden of education, so it, it comes down to kind of the idea of burden of education. Mm -hmm. It's, um, so like something that a lot of black friends would be, say like, these people keep coming at me on Twitter, telling me, well then, oh, why not? It's like, it's not my job to educate you for this. You, you sh it's like, look it up in that sense. You know, there, there's like, um, uh, how would I say this? It's, um, yeah, you can't touch on everything. And yeah. it's not your job to all the time. And I think it it's important too. And I think there's space for all of it. You know, that's why there's, uh, there's a historical film and there's a comedy film and there's this and there's this and there's this. And having, it's like, it's like we were talking before about gatekeepers, like give us the option to have these. It can't just be like, look, Kung Fu was a huge part of Chinese culture. But every movie that has Chinese people is like a kung fu movie, right? <laughs> so again, it's like this idea of not only writers and, and things like that, but like the gatekeepers, the actual producers, mm. the companies. And what's going to happen, I mean, what's kind of happening, and I don't know if anyone follows it, but in the films and things, it's like, oh, China's a huge market. So why don't we make all these films with giant sharks or with robots and whatever, and we don't have to worry about the, the writing of it, and we'll stick a couple of Asian faces in it good mm. and it's like well that's not that's not good you know and it's like getting those gatekeepers getting the education getting the the, the right teachers like getting the right textbooks like california i guess you guys might be luckier but like your friends from like kentucky and like like i mean kentucky especially it's like you read some of these things, it's like, that's what you learned? It's like, yeah, that's why I moved to New York, dude. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> we have well, time for one more question yes. from the audience. Hey, right back here. Hi. Hello. So okay. my question is, why do you think now, 
now is the time that the Asian American culture is finally being seen by all Americans. They tried once before in the 90s. We all remember Margaret Cho's show, American Girl, which was awesome yeah. and, and quickly canceled. It's <laughs> just we weren't ready then or what has happened and changed in the past 20 years that all of a sudden now it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, hmm. Ari? Yeah, Ari, Ari speak. <laughs> uh, Ari, speak for all white Americans. I, 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 I really don't know that I have any coherent analysis of, of why this moment has, has happened. Um, but um, I think success is a big success, part of it. the money. I mean, Absolutely. Margaret's show was not successful. And Margaret's show could have been better, to be quite honest. And, and um, was fraught with, with kind of... Um, creative problems that came from the point of view, the Asian point of view being getting really lost. And I do feel that Aquafina's situation and, and, and also even fresh of the, off, off the, boat, the boat, there is more of a point of view, an Asian point of view in those shows that Mar than Margaret had. And, and so that's changed. And the, again, it, not to overstate the success of Crazy Rich Asians, but that success is what speaks to the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper is then going to program or to um, make decisions based upon the success, phenomenal success of that movie, and rip it off, really. Try to mine <laughs> what was, what was yeah. good about that. And it, and it is true that it's, um, it, it come, some kind of comes down to a commercial sensibility, but it's also logical, you know? It is what the people want. Mm -hmm. It is what the people seem to be speaking to say that they want, and so then you give them more of it. So what Asian America could use to do is to speak up about what it really wants and demand what it wants. And there's always been a kind of difficulty in that. Um, it's either a cultural thing or it's, it's something, but millennial Asians are much more uh, active in getting what they want, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, to a fault, really, and and, <laughs> and uh, I'm, you know I have an 18-year-old son, so I'm I'm you know in the throes of getting what he wants. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, it's also like the entire cult. Not just if we, if we separate entertainment with everything else, I, I don't think we can do that. We have to kind of combine it, like the emergence of the internet, and all of a sudden, all these the first things like early internet was all these kind of Chinese or mm. Asian Americans doing these dumb videos and Asian Americans, and it was. Uh, Asian, it was an Asian American they, landscape. They wanted it was it. totally yeah. dominated by Asian American, and still, it's still it's, kind of very is. dominated by Asian American. And it's something very interesting about that because it doesn't have the same because it's a direct it's a to direct the people to the people, and it and it doesn't have the same gatekeeper issue. So yeah. quality is able to um, to kind of emerge right. in a way, it's you know, and top. dance troops and that, dance that, that, that dance that blows my mind. I love food. that. Like the best Ooh, break dancers, yeah. like it's like a yeah. bunch of like Chinese kids from like you know Orange LA, County, Orange County, yeah. and then like food. All of a sudden, there's this like, oh, we need to find more authentic stuff, authentic food. Yeah. And then once everyone's more comfortable with like, oh, what's that weird thing that yeah. I used to think was super weird when I was growing up? And people were like, oh, you brought that for lunch? Like yes, right. Like the whole hashtag lunchbox moment thing. And all of a sudden, people in, in America are more comfortable. Like, oh, I. I Oh, what's that noodle it. called? Oh, it's pho. Yeah. Oh, it's ramen. Oh, yeah. that's like uh, the nyoromian. It's like this like beef noodle soup, stuff like that. That's, that is that, very true. That yeah. is a very when, that paradigm shift of That means I'm comfortable with you. Yes. Which means I'm comfortable with seeing you 
And then guys, and then all of a sudden, Jeremy Lin pops up. Oh, Asian guy can play ball. All right. So let's look at the, so right now, college players, there's a couple of Chinese, uh, Chinese, Chinese American, Japanese guys that are playing like in the G League or a D1 ball. So it's like, I'm a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more yeah. comfortable. And then internet starts and it's like, oh, I'm seeing more and more of like these kids doing pranks or whatever yeah. it is. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, we want to watch a movie with these guys. And then there, there was this movie and it's like, all right, let's see what else we can do. Ah. Yeah. I feel well, and, I, and I would add also that the country has demographically changed since yeah. 1990, 1995 or such. It's, I mean, this is the oldest story in the world. It's continued to get more and more diverse. Yeah. You're living near more people who are eating mm -hmm. different foods, yeah. who are the primary thing you're likely, unless you're just a, a inborn racist, the <laughs> thing you're most likely going to be concerned about your neighbors, are they throwing their leaves over your, your fence? <laughs> or, you know, or do, do they let their kids run around and, oh my God, are they not vaccinated? <laughs> <laughs> well, the internet. Yeah. We're coming to an end to the program, and then what I'm hearing is I got to come, come out again. I got to go back into all the years that, that didn't have internet and all the weird things that I like. <laughs> I got to come out again and be like... I had I ate white rabbit candy when I was a kid. Oh yeah, I'm cool. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. that. Keep all. Yeah. No. You know, like all uh, thank you, thank you all for being here with us this afternoon, and thank you to our amazing, amazing guests today. And yeah. If you haven't had a chance to go see The Great Leap, it's running now. It runs until March 31st, I believe, at the ACT Geary Street Theater, so you can get your tickets. And if you want a special Commonwealth Club member promo code, you can see John. <laughs> He's got the special promo code. Um, I can't uh, thank you, Sarah Monty Ford, for lunch again. And the Sarah Monty Ford. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Chance. And don't forget, the Michelle Miao Show is here every Thursday afternoon, and we tape our podcast here. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Right. Thanks, hey, guys. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, Leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. 
So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Weatherford BMW is where I spend a lot of my time. I love what I do and I love the people I work with. But work's not the only thing I love. I love the everyday simple things in life, like mornings at my favorite coffee shop, taking walks with my dogs around Point Isabel, and spoiling my partner for a scenic but thrilling ride. That's the beauty of living the Bay Area dream. We're just being ourselves, living our authentic life. Live your authentic life, a special message by Weatherford BMW.